0: This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 661. And the quote of the day is, we must form our minds by reading deep rather than wide. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and 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 beyond. Hey hey, what's going on everybody? Nick Rafini here, episode 661 of the Drummer's Resource podcast and this one's a doozy. This one's a great one. I mean, they're all great, let's be honest. But I say that because of the guest, not because of the not because of me the host. Uh but this one is with Tyshawn Sori and I have wanted to get him on for a long time. The things that he does really amazes me and and not only from a musical perspective, but just how he manages to do all of these things. He's a conductor. He's an arranger. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a drummer. He's a, a band leader. He does all of these things. He's a conductor. So he And he does all of these things, and he does them at a very high level, is very well respected for all of these things, uh, and somehow manages to... To do them all, and do them authentically, and do them uh, with a high level of of proficiency, and it's just something that that is completely awe inspiring to me. And we talk about a lot about we talk a lot about about process, about going deep instead of wide around his his uh, his outlook on on music and how he approaches things and just a really great eye-opening conversation where honestly, we probably could have talked for five or six hours. Uh, and I'm definitely going to have him back as long as he will allow it, but I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Tyshawn. Sorry. Tyshawn, what's happening, my man?
1: What's happening, Nick? So great to be here. and um, you know, Let me just say that um, I was super stoked when you contacted me, asking me to be a part of the podcast, because I've been listening to this podcast uh, for quite some time now, you know, for quite a long time. And a lot of my heroes, you know, some of whom were my teachers, um, have all appeared on here, and, uh, you know, people who I've learned from, and people whose art, you know, that I truly appreciate it. So... Um, it's an honor for me to, to, you know, to even be considered uh, to be a part of this podcast, because I think it's really important, you know, for drummers and not just drummers, but any musician who wants to learn not only about, you know, the drum set and about, you know, drummers and the different paths that drummers have taken, but to also get a general sense of, you know, what being a musician is like now, you know, in this day and mm-hmm. age. Uh, with all of the different things that are going on in the world as well as a lot of uh, musical issues that you know that we're tackling because after all right music is a reflection of who we are and where we come mm-hmm. from you know and um you know it's been said many times that so much of so much of who we are is what we were and so Ooh, I like you know if given our given our um experiences as musicians i think it's important that we all listen to each other be they drummers pianists guitarists uh harpists oboe players whoever um i think you know anyone who's listening to this podcast uh should be very much aware of you know of what it's like to perform the music that we want to perform now and also just to get into you know just the whole business side of things as well you know and to have some kind of understanding of what that means for us as musicians um today so it's Mm -hmm. it's um it's an honor for me to be a part of this podcast and i'm very much psyched about what we're going to be getting into so thanks for having me
0: well the it's an honor as well and i i tell people all the time there's i i get a lot of people who who Praise me for the podcast and and thank me for doing it. But this podcast would be absolutely nothing without people like you coming on to share your stories, to share your experience, to share your advice. And I'm just I'm just the conduit. So thanks to you and all of the you know, all of the great guests who, who have come on and then the people who listen to it. Like it's it's the guests and the listeners who make the podcast. And I'm just I'm just the guy in the middle. So uh but I, I do I appreciate everyone's time when they come on. Um there's so many things that that I want to talk to you about because the I I think that from from an outsider's perspective, there's all of these different boxes that you check. And I'm sure that for you they don't feel like boxes or compartmentalization. Uh it's it's all just what you do. Um but but you're a composer, you're a musician, you're a band leader. you put out your own records. you work with you know, you work on other people's records. Um, so growing up, so you grew up in in Newark, I, I always like to get a little bit of the background of like what what was life growing up for you? What kind of music were you listening to? What were your influences, that sort of thing? Because I think that's where you start to understand how these things start to start to, to take hold and, and shape you who you are. Uh so what was that for, for you growing up and and what were some of your your influences and what kind of stuff were you listening to?
1: There's so much I can say uh with regards to what life was like growing up in Newark. I'll start with this, that there was no real um Music scene in the city of Newark during the early middle 1980s. Uh, mm-hmm. At the time that I grew up, um, there was not much there in a the way of so-called clubs like jazz clubs and things like that. Um, none of that stuff was really around anymore. The only things that were around, you know, would you know, you would you would occasionally hear about an underground club here or there. But, you know, but by, by that time, I mean, club music, or what's called house music today, um, club music was really at the forefront of what was happening in the city of Newark, as well as hip-hop, um, things like that. So there was a lot going on in the city with regards to those musics. But in terms of anything concerning live performance or anything, you know, like, like say, so-called jazz and stuff like that, like, you don't really, you didn't really find much of that in the city Mm -hmm. of Newark um, during the 80s. So there was no real scene, you know, that was uh, cultivated uh, during those times. Um, There was a lot of legend, though, about that city, and, you know, and and there still is a lot of legend about the city, about the rich um, arts legacy and the rich music legacy that the city had left behind uh, before I came along. I mean, you had so many great figures you know who are of the city and who even were from the city i mean people such as wayne shorter woody shaw sarah vaughn um james p johnson you know even though he wasn't born in newark he was a person who was often talked about you know um mm-hmm. when you hear about you know the stories surrounding so-called early jazz and in, in the city of newark uh things like that so newark was very much known for its um importance in so-called jazz, but um, by the time you get to the 1980s, like I said, you didn't really see too much of that, except when you would occasionally see a big name, you know, pop through, and as a six-year-old or seven-year-old, I got the um, opportunity to witness the great Dizzy Gillespie um, at Newark Symphony Hall um, when I was about seven years old, and actually my dad took me to see him, and um, it was there where I got to take an awesome photo of dizzy i still have it around here nice. um with, with dizzy just standing there letting me mess with his mutes and stuff like that and you know asking him a bunch of questions about his music because i was a fan of dizzy gillespie and oh my wait, wait wait
0: wait 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 wait! you met him then
1: i met him there yeah uh, you made was. it
0: sound like you just went and you were sitting in the audience
1: <laughs> nope. 1987. <laughs> I still have the photo here. Uh, That's me, awesome. You know, yeah. Me, this little child, you know, standing here with Dizzy, you know, and just. Um,
0: but So hold know, on. Just, so you're 1987. So you're seven years old, right? Six or seven. Right. So right. How, how, does a, how does a six or seven year old get into Dizzy Gillespie?
1: My uncle um, had a record collection, um, a small, smallish record collection, not nearly the amount of records that I have, Mm -hmm. but he he did have, you know, some really good um, so-called jazz recordings and everything. I say so-called jazz because the term jazz is something that I... uh, have a little bit of a problem with but i'll i'll just say uh just talk, for... talk
0: to me talk to me about that for a minute cuz i was in a record store yeah, exactly. last weekend and i was like going through the jazz section and i was like why is this is why is this jazz cuz there's an organ in it and it's jazz now i
1: don't know yeah, right <laughs> yeah i don't i don't <laughs> get it there's there's so much to be talked about you know with semantics and here you know, with regard to that word yeah. and uh the history of that word and all that stuff i mean there's a lot we could talk about with that but i'll just say um i'll just say so called for now uh, but my, my uncle did have a, a really great collection of so-called jazz in his, uh, collection. And so I would pull through it and I encountered two Dizzy Gillespie albums that I listened to over and over and over and over, like just listening to a lot of the earlier recordings that he did when he revolutionized the music, um, you know, known as so-called bebop or whatever. Um, when he, you know, like during his, uh, 1940s into the 1950s you know getting mm-hmm. into afro-cuban the afro-cuban parts of the music the afro-cuban um how would i say the juncture of the music and um, you know just listening to a lot of that work and also listening to the work that he did with charlie parker and people like that so i was listening to these records over and over and over and over and over again and my my dad noticed that i was you know these were the same two records that would always be kind of, you know, on the on the turntable, you know, they would always, you know, be sitting there. And so my dad took notice. And I guess he took me to this concert to see to see Dizzy at Nork Symphony Hall. And um, it was before that it was before Dizzy and his band uh, were scheduled to go on stage. And um, I don't know how this happened, but maybe somebody from. The local newspaper, the Star Ledger, maybe somebody from the newspaper saw that I was curious about what was about to go down in the Symphony Hall and took me backstage to meet Dizzy and my dad was standing there with me and and so Dizzy you know, he, like I was, you know, this cute seven-year-old kid just asking really, you know (laughs) really innocuous questions like what key is this song in? (laughs) You know, (laughs) even though I had no knowledge of, you know, like music. Well, that's what I was
0: going to ask. Like, how did you, were you playing at that point?
1: I was playing a little bit. Yeah. I was playing piano mostly by ear. I was playing a lot of stuff by ear, picking up church hymns and things I would hear on records and stuff like that. So that's how I was able to get into that. So I was asking him all of these questions, you know, about, you know, these recordings that I listened to. And he signed one of the LPs for me that I brought. That's uh, awesome. Along there, so I and I still have that here too, uh, where he signed it, and um, I also have the photo of me standing there messing with his mute and his trumpet and stuff, and just him being very sweet and really encouraging. You know, and you know, seeing this seven-year-old black kid, you know, really curious about you know the music that he was going to play. I mean, because mm-hmm. you know, at that time, I mean, to to be to be interested in so-called jazz was I don't want to say viewed negatively, but it, it was something that um, you know that was that seemed unusual you know right. to somebody who was in a peer group or somebody like that, even all through high school and everything like I was looked at as sort of the odd man out because I didn't necessarily only subscribe to the music that people thought that I should be listening to such as hip right. hop or club music and I mean even though I enjoyed all of it. You know, I enjoyed mm-hmm. all of the music, you know, that has come out of the club scene in Newark and all the hip hop stuff that have that has come out of the city. I mean, I still mm-hmm. listened to other kinds of music because I knew that there was just a lot more out there um than simply what was on the radio. Like I didn't right. believe in this right. idea that you know, whatever's on the radio is the only music that you are permitted to check out. Like I checked mm-hmm. out whatever I wanted. And so, um,
0: and I think it opens, I think it really opens up your mind. I mean, you, so it's interesting. You and I are, are the same age. So I know that when I was seven, I was seven, I was listening to vanilla ice and you were listening to Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, so mm-hmm. a, I, we, we, at a young age, I can see where our, the trajectory of our careers were going because I was listening to vanilla ice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but, um, but no, I think it's interesting that, you know, one day you can get in your car and you're listening to Jay-Z and then the next day you get in your car and you're listening to Thelonious Monk. And yeah. and then when you sit down behind the kit, you're referencing, you can reference so many more things instead of just staying on this narrow road and saying, no, I only listen to the, because it doesn't matter what you listen. If you only listen to this one particular thing, then that's all the decisions you're going to make. That's all the choi- sonic choices you're going to make and everything because it's right. so ingrained in your head.
1: Right. You know, and and the other thing about that, too, I mean, it wasn't really a conscious decision for me to just listen to anything I wanted because it was all music to me. Like I didn't necessarily I didn't think of genres or I didn't think of categories or anything like that as such, Mm -hmm. because, I mean, again, going back to the radio, um, whenever I would listen to the radio, I wouldn't just listen to things, you know, that were hip-hop and, you know, R&B and things like that or whatever, even though I very much appreciated that music, um, I would turn the dial. I would just simply turn the dial and find some other kind of music to listen to. Mm-hmm. And depending on how that music made me feel and depending on whether or not it inspired me, I just kept listening. And so that's kind of how my the story of my life has gone. You know, like when I would turn the radio dial and encounter something, say, like bluegrass music, Or I would turn the dial again and then encounter something like, you know, um, bachata music or Afro-Cuban music. Or I would encounter something like, you know, Western art classical music. Like I would encounter something like that. So this would be my listening experience, you know, all the way till now, basically, Mm -hmm. where, you know, whatever, however the music made me feel would be the driving force behind why I wanted to check out more of it, you know? Yep. And the same applies to so-called jazz. I mean, it was the same thing with that. And so what I did, you know, I had, at that time, you know, nobody knows about boom boxes the way we do, <laughs> but uh, but we had these <laughs> boom boxes with cassette decks, you know, the cassette decks yeah. that were kind of installed in these boom boxes. Yeah. And so I would, um, I would buy you know, my dad or whoever it was, you know, someone in my family would buy a package of blank cassette tapes for me. And what I would do is I would take all of these cassette tapes and if there's something on the radio that right away picked my interest, I would record it, you know, and I would listen to it over and over and over and over and over. And that's kind of how, you know, that's how I got into the music. It's just by, you know, I mean, I I learned the stuff because I really liked it and because I was really able to enjoy it for what it is rather than, you know, well, this is something that I'm supposed to listen to. Even Mm -hmm. I'll tell you one other funny story. Um, When I was listening to some um, uh, merengue or something like that, when I heard some of that over the radio one time, you know, there was, there was, um, there was an interview or something like that, that took place in between when, you know, the radio station had played the Mm -hmm. music and then, when they were going to play something again, there was like a little interview in there. And then my dad walked in and heard me listening to this. And it was a language that, you know, of course it was Spanish, and I didn't speak Spanish. No one in my family does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were, but. I was listening and my dad was like, you don't understand Spanish or whatever, won't you change the station? I was like, I don't need to change the station. Why am I going to change the station? Like, I love this music. Like, I I, I like this music. Let me keep listening. I don't have to understand this language to, you know, to appreciate how the music sounds and to appreciate you know, how it made me feel. And so it was kind of a little, it it, it was a funny moment between my dad and I, because I think he understood (laughs) where I was, where I was going when I told him that, when I retorted him to him that, you know, Hey, you know, just because they're speaking a different language, doesn't mean that, you know, um, I can't appreciate the music, you know, know, if the music makes me feel good, I'm going to go with it, you know, and you know, whether there's vocals in it or whether there are not, you know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of how that was, for me. And so um, so you have the radio and then you also have the barbershop where that's another formative experience that I like to address. Uh, talking about growing up in the city of Newark and being um, omnivorous to all of these different styles of music and different forms of music. Um, it was at the barbershop where I became more familiar with so-called R&B before 1980. Um, you're talking about things, you know, basically going from the early nineteen fifties till about nineteen eighty. Uh, my barber at the time was also a record collector. And mm-hmm. he had a lot of recordings by, you know, people like Wilson Pickett, by James Brown, by Aretha Franklin. Um, I mean, the list just goes on and on of, you know, so many incredible um R and B artists, you know, and um, you know, people whose music I've listened to. So it was through him that I also got exposed to a lot of these uh musics that predated, you know, my time and um that got me into it. And so I would take these, so what so after each haircutting session, the barber would give me like a stack of 45s to take home. Give nice. me and my dad a stack of 45s to just bring home. And you know, and I I never even I never even asked for him. He would just like say, Here, I know you're into music. I know you like music or whatever, and I'm not playing these, so here. Take this stack of 45s home. When you come back, I'll give you another stack. And so it would go on and on and on like that for, you know, a couple of years or, or more. And um, I would just come home and listen to this music over and over and over and over again. Um, and that was, you know, that was that was my life story, you know, listening to things by, you know, people from Motown, people from Stacks, um, you know, listening to um, – you know, a, a lot of, a lot of really, um, important records that have come out of those periods, you know, listening to a lot of the music from the Mississippi Delta, even like I would listen to things like that. Like I, like there was all kinds of things that I've listened to. And thanks to my barber, um, for giving me these experiences to take all of these stacks of records home with me and listening to them over and over again. And, uh, I would go to school. I would go to my, um, Elementary school listening to these recordings and um, I would be sitting in the back of the bus because in those days, you know, like I said, I didn't really have a headphone set at all. I just Mm -hmm. had this little tape recorder that I would take with me and it had like an external speaker, you know, through which you could listen. And so the bus attendant one morning wouldn't allow me to get on the bus because I had this tape recorder. With me and you know, you can't really have music. You know, you can't have noise on these these buses, but the attendant listened to what I was listening to, and um, I forget what recording it was. But she said, "All right, all right, get on the bus, but just just in the back or whatever. Don't you know? Try to put the thing to your ear and make sure nobody nobody can hear you." So that was my experience on the school bus to elementary school in Newark. You know, where I would listen to these cassette tapes that I've made of all of this music. All these these stacks of forty fives, and I would make tapes out of them, and you know, right. stuff on the radio. And I would listen to these tapes, you know, in the in the back of the bus, and you know, and um. That was, you know, that was kind of how I got into it. And that's how I got into studying music, you know, how I got into studying, learning how to read, you know, uh, playing trombone and stuff like that, you know, learning how to read on that instrument and getting more familiar with, you know, fundamental concepts surrounding performing music, because I wanted to be some kind of musician, even if it was to even if it meant doing it as a hobby which at that time it did cuz I never thought about doing it as a life's work until much later right in life but um it was really at that time where I got so immersed in music to the point where that's that's one of the things I wanted to do cuz I was always I always had a thing about being creative and about creativity anyway I mean anything mm-hmm. from making up stories to painting Uh, to drawing or coloring or anything of that sort, anything involving art, you know, that was the thing that I was interested in, like some sort of creative outlet. And music for me was just another creative outlet for me to really fully engage in. And so I started taking trombone lessons, um, private trombone lessons, as well as trombone lessons uh, within the school program. Thankfully, my elementary school still had music, Uh, Because during that time, thanks to budget cuts and a number of other things surrounding, um, you know, having music hadn't been taken, the music was taken out of schools, you know, the Mm -hmm. idea of studying music was already out of the school system by that point. But fortunately, we still had instrumental music teachers in, in our elementary school. And so I was in that school where I got to study trombone and occasionally play little piano improvisations and things like that with the um, instructor there. And it was through him that I got the opportunity to study at the North Community School of the Arts, which is now called the North School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. And when I studied at the North Community School of the Arts, I not only studied how to read trombone, but I also... Um, Also studied how to improvise, you know, and so this would go on for years and years and years, you know, where I've tried to learn as much as I could about music performance and learning, you know, like I said, learning how to read and getting an understanding of fundamentals, as well as, you know, my my interest in drums also sort of picked up uh right around that time even though you know how it is when you're a little kid nobody wants you to go near the drum set, you know, like don't <laughs> you know, of course in the corner. <laughs> you know. And um uh, but that was that came that came a bit later. But the North Community School of the Arts, um as well as my music instructor during uh Mr. Fields Howard was his name, um, during elementary school, um And the barber, you know, who cut my hair and also the radio and all of these experiences all together was what solidified um, my interests in music and how the way I listen to music now, the way that I approach music today is very much a logical extension of that upbringing. And so that's why I'm mentioning all of these things, because um, it is exactly, precisely how I've ended up um dealing with music the way I'm dealing with it now.
0: One of the things one of the things that you brought up that I that I put a thumbtack in and that I want to go back to is when yes. you're getting you're getting these 45s from the barbershop, you're recording, you're taking them home, you're recording you're recording songs off the radio, you're uh you know you're barring maybe barring tapes from people and and as the kids don't remember the struggle of the high speed dub, but maybe you're doing mm-hmm. high speed dubbing some tapes. When, oh yeah, but <laughs> you remember that? Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. But when I, this is this is my thought, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. When when you spend that much time accumulating music or or putting that much work in to be able to have that music, so you can listen to it over and over and over again, I think that you create not only a deeper appreciation for the music, but you also spend more time with that music because it was a lot of work to to you know, record a whole 45 onto a tape or to high speed dub or to do yeah. or record stuff off of the radio. So I felt like anytime I did that, I was like, oh my God, I now I finally got this tape with this song on it. And now I can listen to it over and over and over and over again. And instead of just grabbing my phone, queuing it up, listening to it once and then being like, that was easy. I never have to listen to that song again.
1: Oh my God, it's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like when, you, when you listen to music on, you know, it's like being like a mile wide and an inch deep just in terms of the, um, the curiosity that's there and mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the amount of knowledge and information that one gets um, when they're listening to a piece of music where, you know, you got all of this music On your phone, or or your iPod, or whatever it is, and yet, it's like, you don't even know who's on the record, for one, and two, you, like, you just listen to, like, maybe 30 seconds of the song or something like that, and and think, you know, I, I don't know, like, somehow the value, the value of it decreases, I think, as a result of not, um, how should I put this? Like, I mean, it's like, when you're limited to a certain amount of music that you have on a piece of media, be it a cassette tape or a CD or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. when you have something tangible like that, um, the value somehow is higher when you have less information that you have to really listen to over and over and over and over again to really kind of understand what's going on in the music and being able to appreciate it. Um, There's less of a tendency to do that. The more media you have, the more music you have onto a piece of media. You know, the tendency sometimes would be for, for example, for people to forget that they've even had certain recordings on an iPod or something that they may have downloaded, however many months ago or something Mm -hmm. like that. They may have downloaded this amazing record, you know, that they may have heard once or something like that. And then maybe six months down the line, they come, they come back, and then probably sometimes they don't even realize they have that record on there, <laughs> you know. And then when right. you ask them about it, when you ask them about their experience listening to it and what was on the record and why did you like it, they can't even tell you, <laughs> you know. Yep. So it's, uh, for me, it's better to have less information on a piece of media, and get to appreciate it listen to it over and over and over and over than to have a bunch of music and not even know, you know, who's on those recordings or not have any idea, um, really, the structure of the record or the structure Mm -hmm. of whatever song it is you're listening to on the record and that kind of thing. Like, I'd rather, like... (laughs) I mean, that way of learning, you know, when you listen to something over and over and over, you have, to, you have to really love it to be able to invest that kind of time and energy to even get access to that material. Whereas right. this is, is very easy to access music now. I mean, so much different kinds of music now. It's super easy to access it. And you get the feeling that um, it just it just devalues the process of learning. You know, when when you have so much music in front of you and yet you don't even know who's on the record or or who's playing what instrument or, you know, the structure of whatever song it is you listen to. I mean, you know, you, you listen to like, you know, you listen to a song and then you move on to the next one. You listen to another song, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. You keep listening to music like that and without really getting a full understanding of what's going on with the music, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm really glad to have not had that opportunity to learn music in that way very early on and to basically sit with a couple of records or a couple of cassette tapes of things that I've made and really sit down and listen to them constantly over and over and studying them and um you know you 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 appreciate the music in such a way where even the sound of it becomes familiar to you you know yeah. once you once you kind of. Absorb it, and once you really get to listening to it, um, you know, you could hear that a record came from Motown based on the sound of the record, the sound of the drum set, for instance, or the way the, the, way the uh, reverb or whatever it is sounds, the way the room sounds or whatever. You could tell that, you know, this record came from, um, you know, you could tell who was drumming on the record based on the drum sound. You know, you Mm -hmm. listen for the drum sound, you listen for, you know, how the strings are mixed, you know, in the music, you listen for how the rhythm section is mixed within the music. You know, you listen for little things like that. When you listen to recordings over and over and over, you start to take notice about things that maybe are beyond the scope of the lyrics and beyond the scope of whatever Uh, horn lines are produced out there. I mean, like there's 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 just so much beyond the surface that one gets when they're listening to recordings over and over and over, as opposed to this whole disposable kind of way of listening to the music that we have today, or this sort Mm -hmm. of instant gratifying way that we kind of experience music today. I mean, you know, this was this is an opportunity to really learn everything beyond Uh, just simply the lyrics and stuff like that. You know, when you listen to things over and over and over again, while being limited to, you know, maybe five or six songs per side on a cassette tape.
0: Right. I mean, that's, that's the thing that I always think about. Like when I went to buy a CD at the store, I had to save my money to go buy the CD and then that was the CD I had and that was the CD that I was going to listen to for the next month or two months or three months because that was all I had. And and I would <laughs> learn it inside out and upside down and and now I can listen to those CDs, you know, 15, 20 years later and still like there, if there's a line that I can, I already know it's coming before it comes and I know exactly how it sounds and everything because I, I just, I listened to it so many times. The world the world has changed, right? And there's nothing that we can do about that yeah. in terms of the internet yeah. and, and and how things are are moving so quickly. How do you suggest that people now in this in this world of, of unlimited options and unlimited music and and the ability to go, you know, a thousand miles wide and an inch deep, how do you how do you suggest that people slow down and and pick a certain amount of music to listen to or or really digest the music with all of these options that are out there now.
1: Well, it's precisely that. Slow down and really, um, you know, sort of re- reverse engineer your mentality, you know, when it comes to this stuff. You know, like you see that everything is moving fast and everything is, you know, everything is moving so fast. Everybody is, you know, accessing music at, you know, a mile a minute. You know, you're getting all of this information. Thrown at you. But what if you, I mean, just because that's happening, does that mean that you then have to also, you know, move fast or that you also have to do things the same way that everybody else is doing it? Like me personally, like I've always, I've been the type to go against the grain, you know, when Mm -hmm. it comes to things like this. And so just because there's so much technology out there, I mean, doesn't mean that you have to, you have to operate in the same way that everyone else does when it comes to accessing music and if you're really trying to learn this music and get into you know how the music makes you feel and all of this kind of stuff i mean you're not going to get it through one listen alone you really do have to slow down and you really do have to uh, sit down and appreciate the music for what it is rather than what it's supposed to do in the immediate moment because you can mm-hmm. never learn everything about a piece of music and in one in simply one listening or one sitting, and then you move on to the next thing that's just simply not possible um for any human to 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 grasp you know so right for me, I mean, you know slowing down, I think is kind of the biggest thing I would I would suggest, you know, for anyone to do and you know, maybe sit down with just one recording per day, maybe even one song, you know, per right. day and listen to it, you know, and keep listening to it over and over and over again. And I mean, you know, because the more you do that, the more whatever it is you're listening to becomes interesting, even for music that you don't like. It's the same thing. I mean, it's, it's like, point. You, know, <laughs> you know, exactly. It's like if you listen to it enough times, you'll find that there's some element of it, you know, that is interesting and that you might be able to connect to something else that you do like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that could, that could very much be a thing as well. If one just learns to really slow down and to appreciate you know, appreciate the work that is around them. I think that you know that can go a really long way. You know,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it it's an interesting thing because i I came from the world of like buying tapes and CDs and records, and now be on one side, I'm like, this is great. I can access anything and and I can pull it up anytime that I want. But I'm also overwhelmed by it, and I feel like I actually end up listening. In a bad way, I end up listening to the same stuff because there's so much to dig through, and there's so sure. much out there that I'm like, ah, eh, I'll just listen to this this same record that I always listen to, you know, or or I'll just put this thing on because it's easy, and I feel like I'm not doing I'm not doing the deep dive as much as I used to, be, not because there's or or it is because there's there's just too many options for me. It's like it's overwhelming to me.
1: And see, but see, that's the other thing. See, you have. See, there's there's that very fine line where you're listening to music over and over and over again that you've had, that you're learning about, that you're getting into. And then there's having so many other options, so many other types of music that you can um, explore. So there has to come a point, you know, where you do stop engaging with the one recording and then listen to all of these other options out there. But upon doing so, Try to find the connection between whatever this other recording is and to the other thing that, you know, got you into liking the music in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. just find a connection between anything you're listening to, between the different musical examples you're listening to. They don't even have to come from the same so-called genre. They can come from different genres. You know, you use your imagination and go beyond the listening. You know, it's like, you know, it's like what teachers call and this is something i've learned you know in my elementary school years where if you're reading a book or you're reading something you know there's reading the lines which is literally reading what is on the page like really reading the lines then there's you know reading between the lines where you're dealing with you know you're dealing with different modes of interpretation uh when you're reading and then there's reading beyond the lines When Mm -hmm. you're taking both of these concepts and then you're getting um, there's there's a there's a larger lesson um, that is being taught to you that you're not really seeing on the page at all, just in this literal form or it's in more interpretive form. I mean, you're really putting putting everything all together logistically in a way that you're going beyond whatever it is that's on that page i did Mm -hmm. i tried to do the same thing with music and with different kinds of music that i listen to as well as you know um when i'm interpreting music you know whenever i'm playing people's scores and things like that you know i don't just want to play the music that's on the page i mean once i once i've learned the music that's on that page once i internalize it enough after having done it or listened to whatever midi realizations or just reading it over and over and over after having done that you start to kind of connect certain things whenever you're learning this music you know you you know things like form uh structure chords harmony melody the way all of these things work you know over the music and how everything logically comes together that to me is you know reading between the lines or whatever where you're Mm -hmm. going beyond a so-called drum part or you're going beyond you know what the page actually says but you're looking for all of these other connections and then when you read what what i call reading what is analogous to reading beyond the lines is when you have already learned almost everything there is that you could possibly learn in a piece of music, then your job as a musician is to really bring it to life in a way that either the composer of that music hasn't imagined or just give it, you know, give it a personal spin, you know, like, like put your personal voice, into whatever it is you're interpreting,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and um, yeah. that's you know, I I did the same thing with listening to music as well, you know, and then when you do the same thing with playing music, then you feel, you know, as long as you're doing it within reason, you know, within what the composer is looking for, um, and making sure you're giving the music what it needs with a very full understanding of what it doesn't need. When you have all of those things kind of working in motion together. Um, there could be no wrong done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, th- I think for me, when I talk about listening to the same song over and over and over again, it's not because I'm going and reading between the lines. It's because I'm in a rut. Right. And it's like, um, right. oh, just, <laughs> I'll just put, I'll just put this on again. I'll just put this on again. Uh, so that's yeah. great advice because I need to, I need to do that on my own too. It's, I'm I'm taking the, uh, taking the lazy way out and just say, just re-listening to the same stuff over and over again.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, just, uh, you know, continue to remain curious. You know, curiosity is what's driving us to do this in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, curiosity is exactly what brought us here, right?
0: Right, I exactly. Mean,
1: that would, you and I wouldn't be talking today if we didn't have this driving curiosity to keep things moving forward, to keep things continuing, to keep learning, right? You could never stop learning because yep. once you stop learning, you're finished, you know, at that point. Once you feel like you've learned everything, then life is, you may as well just stop living because it's just boring at that point. You know, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing, you know, I don't want to learn everything, quite frankly, I don't want to know everything because, (laughs) I mean, first of all, there's no way one could know everything, and two, I mean, you know, there's so much fun that comes with learning, and there's so much fun that comes from not only learning about all of this music and stuff like that as we're talking about, but also learning about ourselves and how we how we can better improve on our listening, how to become better listeners, you know, with mm-hmm. music and with anything else, you know, and that's, you know, that's the thing that I'm most interested in even now. It's just, you know, I mean, after all of these years of playing in all of these bands and playing in these different ensemble formations, you know, all throughout the continent of Europe and all through here and everything after having done that for so long i mean i'm just at a point now where all i want to do is be a better listener you know and to um find a way to play in a way that really reflects that you know and that's that's been that's always going to be my um that's always going to be my go-to activity my that's always going to be on my to-do list you Mm -hmm. know is to um just try to become a better listener, you know, year after year, day after day, you know, that's uh, and because that's, you know, that's where the curiosity feeds that, you know, is to um, find a way to become something, a deeper, more refined version of yourself, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that um, that should extend not only to music, but in other aspects of one's life as well.
0: Such an underrated thing when you talk about listening. And I love that you say that I'm just trying to become a better listener because I think we all we all need to be better listeners. And instead of listening to respond, listening to listen, whether it's behind you know, behind an instrument or or in a conversation or, or whatever the case may be, listening listening is hard and it's a it's a skill and it's a practice that I think that we can all that we can all get better at in life. Not only right. in music, yeah. but just in general.
1: Man, you hit the nail on the head when you said um, listening just to listen or listening to learn and not respond. I think that that is so um, undertaught, you know, just in, mm-hmm. in, um, in so-called jazz education, even I will put it that way now now I'm about to go on a deep end here <laughs> um just with uh, more unpopular opinions as it were um but listening not to respond but really listening and you know taking one's time to respond, thinking before you speak whatever happened to this you know in in and, and um you know i listen to I listen to drummers now sometimes when like all they're doing is just you know they they're just they're just simply responding to every single thing that happens on the bandstand every single thing that happens on stage the drummer has to repeat it the drummer has to mimic or play some form of that whatever happens sometimes to just sort of letting things take their course like you know like as a drummer like you don't have to play every single figure the pianist, you know, starts playing in the left hand or something like that. Yeah, I got <laughs> yelled at
0: a lot for that when I was younger,
1: about chasing yeah. <laughs> chasing the guitarist's
0: tail. And he's like, leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> stop! Yeah. Stop chasing me.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's almost as if, like, you're sort of behind in the music. You know, like, it's like, it's almost like answering a question with a question. You know, when you you hear that kind of playing, you know, where, uh, you know, just everything that a soloist playing or whatever, like, you know, if you hear a saxophonist playing, if you hear a saxophonist, for example, playing more notes in their solo or whatever, the drummer then gets super busy, you know, and then like it, it just becomes this thing where the saxophone player and the drummer are now like cluttering up the music and that sort of thing. It's like sometimes you just want to let things go. Like if the saxophone player wants to play a lot of notes, let them play a lot of notes, but you just you just keep the time moving, keep it all going, you know, keep it grooving. Mm-hmm. You know, if it feels good, keep it that way. You like don't screw it up by trying to play the most, you know, technically advanced, most bombastic stuff you could possibly play. Sometimes it, sometimes things are good left alone rather than you know left behind i would say yeah. or or rather or, or rather just um mimicked i would say you know like if like if sometimes you know sometimes what you don't play is just as important as what you do play if not even more important because you know it's like if you can't if you can't maintain a sense of you know musicality and what musicality is what music is right and what the what makes up the material of music if one forgets the idea that the material of music consists both of creating sound and the absence of sound or the absence of of uh, playing or the absence of activity and these types, types of things if one is not aware of both of these things together, then, you know, there's something imbalanced. There's like a sort of imbalance that's there, I think, Mm -hmm. when, you know, when one doesn't really take that understanding into full account. I was guilty of this myself. So this is why I can say that because, you know, there was one time where, you know, of course, it's all about the drums and it's, you know, and you're playing you know, super busy and, you know, you got to be killing it. You know, if the the saxophone player is killing it, then you got to be killing it too and this and that. Whereas sometimes it's not even about that. You know, sometimes it's really about maintaining that equilibrium between all of the members of the ensemble and really just, you know, inspiring the musician in ways other than basically playing everything that they're playing, you know?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I think it's hard when when you when you're on the bandstand and all these people are playing a lot of notes and you say, Well, I wanna play a lot of notes too, and I wanna get all my get all my stuff out there and I, it's I think it's hard sometimes to refrain yeah, from and, doing and, those things.
1: Yeah, and the other thing too, uh, I don't I don't mean that to say that, that that's not valid or that's not a valid approach to playing or whatever. That's just another approach that I personally sometimes am in conflict with you know mm-hmm. um when i hear you know if i'm I'm not saying you know whatever the music call calls for is what the drummer should be able to do you know whatever the music calls for if the saxophone player wants a drummer who's going to be playing a whole pile of shit behind them then hey you know more power to them you know the the the, the, the gig you know it's fine you know that's as far as that goes um I'm not saying that that approach is not valid but i i I am saying that be also aware of these other ways of inspiring the musician um that are besides basically playing every single lick and chop you possibly could just because another player is doing the same thing right you know right I'm just saying like like find something else to do <laughs> you know <laughs> right. like i i'd I, I rather i rather hear I'd rather hear a drummer who's struggling. Trying to go for some shit, than somebody who's up there basically, you know, playing every single, you know, lick and chop the same kind of lick and chop that they would play behind anybody else who's playing a uh, barrage of notes or something like that. Like I, yeah. like I'd much rather hear a drummer struggling, trying to, you know, trying to be, um, how should I say? Like I, I, I would, I would much rather hear. The desire to go for something beyond whatever, you know, whatever it is that's being proposed.
0: It's time to design your dream kit. You have a sound and look in your mind's eye, and it's time to make that dream a reality. Your sound emerges from the choicest materials and is constructed using the exclusive Sonar Optimum shell measurement construction, utilizing slightly undersized shell diameters, allowing the drum head the space to float freely with unrestricted bearing edge contact. Your look emerges through the ultimate selection of veneers, hand polished lacquers, and premium coverings to create the stunning look of your dreams. Design yours today at sq2-drumsystem.com. Promark is more than just a pair of sticks. It's the inspiration for all drummers to break the barriers of convention and make their mark. And Promark is challenging players of all kinds to discover what makes their drumming unique and show your stripes. Use the hashtag showyourstripesDR on Instagram to share your own special performance, a photo of your kit, or whatever you feel sets you apart as a drummer. The best submissions will be included in a brand new Promark official stripes ad spot. Be sure to follow at Promark Sticks on Instagram to stay in the loop with all the exciting things they have in store this year. Promark, the official stripes of making your mark. Talk to me about about being a composer, a a band leader, a drummer for hire. These are all, not only are they, are they different disciplines, but your thought process has to be different too, I would imagine. So when you're, when you're writing, are you specifically thinking about the drummer in mind or when you're, you know, when you're hired, when you're hired for someone, are you removing your, um, your, your need to sort of be the conductor or be the composer in that and just going in and and doing what they want. How do you, how do you separate yourself from all of these different disciplines when you're, when you're doing them all?
1: Okay. So from the composing angle, first of all, all of it is composing, whether I'm behind a drum set or behind a piano or whatever it is, or if I'm playing somebody else's music, I'm composing, you know, any, any time I'm behind a musical instrument. So um so just to say that in in terms of how it all connects um that's kind of how i see it um like where you know I'm, i'm always composing music um no matter who i'm with if i'm by myself or if i'm leading the band or if somebody else is leading the band whatever the case um now that being said on the compositional spectrum of the work that i do um oftentimes i try to think opposite the drums Um, I don't think about the drums until way later uh, whenever I'm writing music because harmony and melody and stuff like that, I'm very much well-trained in harmony, Um, Western art type harmony, Western art music harmony and theory and stuff like that. I'm uh, very, very well-trained in that field. And I also have a, um, you know, I have a lot of experience with arranging and, and uh reharmonizing and things like that and putting together melodies and that kind of thing i've always been doing that for a very long time so whenever i'm composing music i already have sort of an idea of what i'm after just mm-hmm. not only from a musical or technical standpoint but also from an emotional standpoint and so composing too has a diff you know my compositional work has many different subsets to it one is the music that i compose for the concert music canon which that's a whole other conversation we can have but if but if we're talking about music that i'm writing for a band that i'm leading um you know i often try to think of you know different melodies that inspire me different musicians who have inspired me the musicians who i'm writing for um you know how can i bring out the best in the musicians who i'm hiring and who i'm working with mm-hmm. um you know this kind of thing like how can i how can i get them inspired and at the same time challenge them you know these are the things that i'm um, more or less after as a composer like i don't like to write music that necessarily only plays to the musicians you know whom I hire because then that's not challenging enough. That doesn't really do any, it's just another gig to certain people. And I never really approach my concerts or anything as gigs. Like there's no such things as gigs for me, you know, just a gig where you just show up and play or something Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, of course there's, there's contexts in which that does happen, but at the same time, if there's any music that I write that I'm going to feature some players, you know, to participate in, they have to be able to, number one, negotiate different elements of composition, you know, in order to do it, you know, to be mm-hmm. able to understand that this music is well-informed by principles related to composition, principles related to theory, and principles related to music-making, what surprises can take take shape during a performance of music, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, the musician has to be aware of these things if I'm going to have them work with me and have them, you know, if I'm going to write music for them, they have to be aware of all of these different principles. So typically, whenever I write music, I first think of the musicians who I'm going to have involved, which in, in and of itself is a compositional step um, in the music. Um, then once I hire the musicians and they have the music on the stage, you know, they have the music there. It's never a comfortable situation for the musicians because I have a fervent love of spontaneity. I mean, as, as one who is listening to this might be able to grasp so far, um, <laughs> is that when you're on my bandstand, anything can happen. We could be in a situation where, you know, we've, we've prepared maybe seven or eight songs or something like that for a performance. And maybe only six of those eight are going to be performed or something because at a moment's notice, I may decide to either stretch out a particular section within the music, like a particular improvisation section in the music, or I may even create something... I may even change the form of the music. Like, sometimes the forms, uh, the form of the music is hardly ever the same. Like, no two performances are ever the same. I mean, that's a given, but also the way the performances unfold is also not the same. So the forms of the songs can also change from night to night. Um, let's see what else can happen. The tempo of these songs can change from night to night. Sometimes mm-hmm. we, sometimes uh, what can happen is over the course of a given song, the tempo may all of a sudden change, you know, during the song. And nobody will know that that would happen but sometimes it happens, you know? Um, So all of these different compositional tools that are there, tempo, form, um, the way that a structure can unfold, the way, you know, like, or another thing that can happen sometimes is transposition. The musicians sometimes have to transpose things, sometimes without much preparation at all, but they sometimes would have to transpose, you know, say the chords that are going to happen over a saxophone solo sometimes they may have to do that at the drop of a dime and so um you know a lot of things can change um from performance to performance and so um and again that's why i say the musicians have to have some knowledge of composition um in order to um in order to perform with me because any of these things can happen you know over a given piece of music like i'm never married to any music that I write for my band members, you know, of Mm -hmm. course, you know, there's things that are going to stay more or less the same. I mean, such as the melody and things like that, but when it comes to solo forms and when it comes to, you know, different things surrounding playing parts of a form, like for example, not, not just going from A to Z, but going from A to D to B to E to F to C, you know, Right The musician has to have some uh, willingness to be able to really go there, you know, and to really see how logically everything is connected, you know, mm-hmm. in that way, you know, compositionally. So um, so and'm I'm, I'm mentioning in particular, some of the principles that go into my work um, with my piano trio, um, who released um, the two recordings, Alloy and Verisimilitude, um, those two recordings, the trio featuring um, the pianist Corey Smythe and bassist Chris Tordini. I'm talking specifically about that, where these types of chances would form can happen over mm-hmm. a given performance. I'm also talking about my Sextet um, from the, the album that I released in 2020 titled Unfiltered. Um, that's another... Uh, that's another group in which these different chances with composition and form are being taken, um, you know, in my own bands. So um, so all of these different principles are taken to uh, to account, you know, over, over a performance of music. And the results are always very surprising. You know, one is always on their toes and that kind of thing. But I don't mean that to say that you know, this is a new concept because in fact it isn't um, at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, there's many countless examples I could name um, that have taken precedent in this approach. But, but having been inspired by so much music, you know, I'm thinking in particular of Charles Mingus and James Brown and how they use, for example, um, tempo and form and this kind of things and, you know, architecture, the architecture of a given composition and how it's, how it changes shape, you know, from performance to performance and depending Mm -hmm. on who the players are and that kind of thing. Like, you know, I look to people like that or even Duke Ellington. I mean, like people like that who have taken composition and really have done these incredible things with it spontaneously, you know, on and on the bandstand, you know, on, on and off the bandstand, you know, like by sometimes either thinking these things up while they're not performing or having these things happen at the spur of the moment, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's the exact approach that I have learned from. And it's the thing that uh, excites me and it it continues to inspire me and excites me. And so um, every band member who I worked with has often told me how inspired they've been by, you know, by just having to really be pushed to think beyond simply going uh, going from left to right. You know, all the time or whatever, because it's you know in my groups it's never really only about left or right, but it's about everything in the center, and it's about you know really negotiating that space between what is composition and what is improvisation. Whereas you know some people see these two things as being mutually exclusive. I personally, on the other hand, don't uh, see composition as being exclusive uh, from improvisation. Like let's say composition is on the left side of your computer screen and improvisation is on the right side of your computer screen. Mm -hmm. What's in the middle of that screen? You see like, you you see like a blending between uh, both of those approaches. And that's, that's the area where I feel that I like for my band members and myself to thrive most, you know? Right.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a good analogy. I I never really thought about it. Like, Not that I'm saying I thought that I put the two together, but I never, I never thought about uh, them not being mutually exclusive and and saying, okay, this is, yeah, this is this is the form and all that. But then there's also this this other side of it, which is how are how are we interpreting this and how are we improving around this and how are we giving ourselves space to to obviously stick to what's on the page, but at the same time not stick to what's on the page and and interpret it our own yeah. way so um yeah. and and All and I'm guessing that yeah. you that you set that up before you go into to these set into these um performances where you're saying listen there is some there is some leeway here or I want you to be creative and artistic around around these particular guidelines and and sort of guardrails
1: of course um and I can I can tell you specifically with my sextet Um, when I first formed the Sextet, we rehearsed for about two weeks, you know, every day for about three, four hours a day. We rehearsed, you know, we first, you know, kind of got an understanding of each song and the way the forms went for each song and that kind of thing. And then by the time we got to the end of the second week of rehearsals, right into the performance that we did up in Banff, Alberta, Canada, Um, this was in twenty. Uh, 2018, I believe, was when that all took place, Uh, 2018, 2019. Um, When that all happened, uh, by the time we got to the end of that period rehearsing, everybody had known the material so well to the point where we would start to sometimes juxtapose different songs together. Like sometimes we would do that or we we would juxtapose one form over another. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. like these types of things uh, can happen because the music by that point had created a flexible space in which all of this stuff, you know, can really happen. And, um, you know, it was good that we've had that period to not only improvise and play together, you know, and, you know, and develop. Um, the music together, but to also develop a particular way of communicating together on the bandstand to the point where if anything happens, everybody's right there. You know, everybody's, you know, everybody's together. Everyone's on the same page. So before any Sextet performance or any run of my Sextet uh, performances, uh, we do spend about two to three hours beforehand rehearsing i mean we Mm -hmm. we rehearse the music you know we play the music as is and then sometimes you know if a mistake would be made and if that mistake sounds really cool i find a way to add that to the composition you know if something gets screwed up but yet it sounds good and it makes sense then sometimes that gets added to the composition as well so um so there's a lot of room for things to happen even from rehearsal that can be added on to the um Situation for the performance, so we would be rehearsing, and then you know sometimes we would discuss all of these roadmaps from piece to piece. You know how do we go in between these songs, or how do we um, how do we change the form of this one song to make it so that we could either include another soloists, or we can take melodic lines and have them placed over these new chords or something like that you know like Mm -hmm. you know what I mean it's like all of these types of things can um take place during rehearsals and so we spend a lot of time rehearsing and for two or three hours you know after mentally (laughs) trying to you know finagle our way around these uh crazy forms and things like that you know we take like a two three hour break and then we come together and we perform, and then sometimes it still changes because there's so much, much there's so much that we've absorbed, you know, just intellectually. <laughs> right. I mean, there's so much, you know, that has taken place intellectually where we're thinking, we're thinking roadmaps and roadmaps and roadmaps. But then, of course, there's going to be a mistake. You know, there might be a mistake that would happen, and you know, we can't really look at it as a mistake. We can only look at it as an opportunity for something else to happen in the music that may inspire us. Right. You know, and so, um, of course, you know, sometimes mistakes can happen. And and that's perfectly fine, because if the performance was absolutely perfect from top to bottom, then it might not be as it doesn't have the same kind of thrill or the same kind of drive or something about it doesn't speak to me in the same way, you know, in terms of vibe or whatever it is.
0: I'm the same way. I mean, that's why I like listening to old records that aren't snapped to the grid. And sometimes people get excited and things speed up or slow down or, or there's something there that just, you know, maybe it shouldn't be. And it's, I was listening to, I was listening to uh, Michael McDonald. Uh, I keep forgetting yesterday, Jeff Beccaro's on drums and there's a mistake where he drops the stick on the hi hat. and yeah. And now it's just like, now it's part of the song, right? And now it's like right. this accent on the i-hat that, that you're kind of like, oh, it kind of like sounds good in there now. <laughs> it, was, it was totally a mistake, but it's like, well, that's what happened in the moment. And I. that's the thing yeah. that I I love about music is the things that happen. You're creating something that happens in the moment that has never been created before and will never be created again. And that is, that's the thing that's amazing. And I want to see di- something different night to night instead of... Just, you know, snapping everything to the grid, playing some tracks in the background. And it's just this homogenized, like stale version of music.
1: Yeah. You know, that's, oh the man, I of can't it. wait
0: to see my, sorry to cut you off, but I can't wait to see the oh, no. DMs that come in from this.
1: <laughs> oh, that's what it's, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but this, that's, that's the beauty of it. I mean, like you, you talk about the stick drop and things like that. I mean, we, we have to remember that. This stuff is made by people on live instruments. You know, like in and, and uh, you know, in a world where so much is being produced, you know, behind a computer, you know, you you forget sometimes that, you know, um you know, you, you forget sometimes that, you know, some of the best stuff is made by people, you know, behind musical instruments i mean it's like mm-hmm. you you get you know like if you hear a drum thrown creak or something like that you know while you're listening yeah. to somebody playing or something like that oh wait oh that was a drummer who you know that was you know there was an actual drummer live drummer on this track even though the drums sound electronic or whatever you hear some drum th- thrown creaking or something like that it's like wait a minute you know like mm-hmm. this is a human being you know who was like really doing some challenging stuff here. This is somebody who's, you know, who's really um, putting in the physical energy, you know, to produce, you know, such such wonderful sounds or whatever. So it's always that thing, you know, and it goes back to what I was saying about when you're listening to records over and over and over and over again or whatever, is that you you start to hear things in the music that, you know, you may not even have noticed before like ever it's a famous story of Branford marcellus one time talking about how upon listening to um i think it was someday my prince will come or something like that where like you know after, after the melody was stated like you know he had heard a chair creak you know in, in the middle of the song and it's like wow like that's you know, after listening to that recording hundreds, thousands of times or whatever, and, you know, for him to have encountered that for the first time, it's the same thing with anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, listen, when you listen to something long enough, you know, no matter how many times you hear it, you're always going to discover something new in it that you hadn't really heard before. So I think that's a beautiful story, what you just mentioned, too, about um, your experiences. Uh,
0: I mean, if it's, if it's real, I like it. So,
1: yeah exactly, uh so
0: where can people where can people go to follow along with where they can see performances or or listen to your music or or keep in contact with you? What's the best way to do all that?
1: well, um, let's see, that's a good question because I don't really perform live that often except um you know except when I'm leading my own groups. Mm-hmm. or with the um or with the Pianist Vijay Iyer with his uh trio featuring Linda Mahan O and myself and Vijay uh, on piano Linda Mahan O plays bass in that situation and um I look at that as a unit basically like I'm not you know like you mentioned the idea of um being the drummer for hire I don't really work for hire like I'm not a drummer like I have never I don't know for a long time I've kind of stopped working in that way like being a drummer for hire like i only work in contexts that um well let me let me let's just say that you know that's not the way that i work anymore and so you won't really find me very often performing um as a so-called side person or Mm -hmm. so-called side man or whatever you don't you won't really see too much of that but the way that one could follow me would be on instagram i'm not hard to find i always promote uh, my gigs on there. As a matter of fact, um, tomorrow night, May 24th, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but um, well, May 24th, tomorrow night, I'm going to be performing with my trio in advance of our release titled Mesmerism. Um, and that release features Aaron Deal on piano and Matt Brewer on bass. Um, so this will be sort of an advance CD release party of sorts, because I'm going to be bringing advanced copies with me. I'll be having CDs and LPs available uh, for sale. And this will take place at Smalls in New York City. Um, So I'm really very much looking forward to that. Um, So that's going to be tomorrow, May 24th. Uh, We're also going to be appearing at the Spoleto Festival in Charleston, South Carolina um, on, I believe it's June the 4th, I think it is. June the 4th, uh, we'll be there uh, performing music from that same recording. So we'll be doing that. Um, Also, I'll be presenting a lot of my works for orchestra around that same period. Um, I will also be, I mean, I spend a lot of my time composing. I I spend a lot more time uh, composing than performing music, uh, which is the other reason why my career has kind of taken a turn from being this drummer for hire or being, you know, being a drummer Per se to being more or less a composer who happens to play <laughs> who happens to play <laughs> the drums. Um, so, um, but yeah, so there's those two trio performances, and then my sextet that I talked about earlier. We will be performing at Princeton University for the Jazz in June um, concert series that they have going on there at the McCArter Theater. Um, That's going to be happening on the 30th of June, I believe. So that's going to be happening. And then um, during the first two weeks of July, I will be with the Vijay Vijay Iyer Trio with Linda Mahan, O, Vijay, and me. We will be in Europe. I believe we'll be in Tbilisi, Georgia. Um, We will also be at the North Sea Jazz Festival in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. And then the rest of that tour, we're going to be in Italy, which I'm very much stoked about And after that, I'll be, um, I'll be performing and conducting at the Lucerne Festival, the summer festival there of contemporary music, of new music, where, um, I would be premiering a saxophone concerto over there that I've written. Um, so I'll be premiering that over there as well as a piece for myself on drum set and percussion with the Jack String Quartet. So I'll be doing that as well. And, uh... So there's there's a lot of different um, activity that's 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 happening that's more on the concert music spectrum of my work than on the performance spectrum. Mm-hmm. But um, but you'll be able to find me um, on Instagram where I often talk about my performances. You can also visit my website, um, which is currently under reconstruction, uh, which is uh, uh, taishalansori dot com. You can find me there. And um yeah, that's pretty much you know where one would be able to find find out where I'm performing, when and with whom, and that kind of thing.
0: You're a busy man.
1: I am. <laughs> Sometimes too busy for my own good.
0: <laughs> Which makes me even more thankful that that you took some of your uh some of your time to come on the podcast. So I appreciate it, man.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah. You know what's you know what's interesting about this is we didn't talk about drumming at all and i thought that that's actually really cool that we didn't get into that
0: (laughs) i try to talk about drumming as little as possible on the drummer's resource podcast
1: yeah right (laughs) it's it's, it's kind of funny i don't know what what, what are you thinking at (laughs) i love it i love it yeah
0: yeah i mean we're here to talk about i mean because i think i mean not to go down a rabbit hole with this but i think that drumming uh is a is a combination of all of the things that we do in life so there's there's music but there's all of these other things that happen in our lives that that contribute to all of that stuff and to me drumming is i mean sure drumming you need to know rudiments and stuff like that but like that's not i don't think that's what makes a, a great musician i don't think that's what makes a great artist i don't think that it w- is what makes music um listenable i think those are like x's and o's that you need to that you need to learn but then you have to have your life experiences and you have to have your musical interpretations and you have to have your conversations with people and and that's why I love these conversations because I think that someone I think this is so much more valuable than you sitting here talking about how to play an inverted parallel over the bar line.
1: Right. <laughs> right, you, you know? know. Even though we you know, we could talk about all of that but it's we could, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know it's, it's 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 really cool that I say all of this because you strike me as a person who sees me just, you know, not as simply a drummer, you know, or, you know, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, a drummer, right? Not a musician, a drummer, right? You know, you hear so many drummer jokes today, you know, about how drummers aren't necessarily complete musicians or how they don't know the first thing about harmony or the first thing about melody or the first thing about form or anything like that. Like you, you sometimes hear jokes like that. Or whatever. And so what I what I loved about our discussion today was the fact that we didn't fall in that territory where we were talking about just drum stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even though we could, I mean, it would take, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot that we could discuss um, as related to drums. But what I'm hoping the drummer who is listening to this, what I'm hoping that they'll get out of this is don't limit yourself to just a drum set. You know, find some other things to do, learn harmony, learn how to read, uh, learn how to construct a melody, learn how to create a song form, you know, all of these different things. Learn how to produce, you know, learn how to, um, you know, investigate um, electronics in your music, electronic sounds, if you're into that, you know, Mm -hmm. how to, you know, get into things like Ableton and get into, you know, all these other Fields or whatever, or how to approach using the program, how to get into computer programming like max m s p or super collider or things like that, find other things to do that can really inform your playing on a deeper level beyond just what drumming can actually do because you know there's 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 a lot there's just a lot to explore you know we talked about options earlier, you know there's so many options that you can explore. Not only musically, but also, you know, like when you're listening to music, but also when you're making music, you know, there's other ways that you could you could make music that maybe you haven't discovered that you could do yourself, you know, such as, you know, like write a song or something like that or, or you know, do do something that really inspires you and bring that to the musical situation that whatever you find yourself in, whether you're performing as a side person or if you're, you know, playing or if you're leading a band or whatever the situation is, you know, giving the music what it needs and what it doesn't need, you'll learn all of that stuff when you put all of these things together When and when you do things besides just sitting at a drum set practicing rudiments all day. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, you know, there's a lot of value to that, but, you know, there's also value to other things that you can add to your arsenal of ability um, when you're creating Uh, music with other people because that's what it's about music is about people Mm -hmm. the notes aren't going to mean the rudiments and the notes and everything else they're not going to mean a damn thing until you apply them in a way that makes logical sense for whatever the music is calling for you know and you know it's not going to mean anything without the people who are producing these sounds and without the people who are uh reinterpreting whatever these notes are that are on a page or whatever the case may be. You know, so all of this stuff, you know, while it, while while it while it has validity in its own right, there are other things too that you can contribute um to your so called bag of tricks or whatever that you can really uh that you can really bring out the best in whoever it is you're working with. And yeah. that's what we as drummers, that's what our job is, is to bring out the best in you to make your music sound better than you hoped it could or whatever. And it's all through, you know, learning about things that are besides the drums, you know, learning about composition, learning about uh, form, learning about how to architecturally make a song go, you know, how, Mm -hmm. how to really make, you know, give, give the song a structure, you know, with the drum set or whatever. And all of the masters who have came before us have understood this, you know, they didn't just sit there and play, you know, and practice, you know, inverted paradigms or whatever. They really had a hunger for all kinds of music other than the music that they were playing too, you know, like we we can, we can go down the whole line of drummers in our history and we can see that Each drummer who we admire and who we respect so much and who we appreciate historically unanimously have all um, taken interest in things other than the music that they were playing, you know, and even things other than music itself that that, you know, that have informed their decision making on the highest level that it could have been so you know like we got there's too many examples of that that we could list and so (laughs) what i'm trying to do is i i just want to follow i just want to follow in that pantheon of musicianship Mm -hmm. you know to be able to you know give the music what it needs understanding what it doesn't need and also having a very well thought out understanding of what the composer or what the band leader wants out of me you know as the drummer how to get the best out of me and how can i can give my best to them and how can i have them perform their best that's all i want you know in this Mm -hmm. in this lifetime anyway yeah yeah
0: me too me too i think you're (laughs) a lot closer than i am so
1: oh man (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) yeah
0: man well i again i uh i appreciate you taking the time to come on to chat uh share share your wisdom share your experiences um and just continue doing what you're doing i love i love not only the music that you put out but just the the overall concept of just of being more than just a drummer being a musician being a human being being uh someone who uses all these experiences to uh to put out to put out music and and put out compositions and things so uh again thank you so much man enjoy the rest of your day and and i appreciate you
1: thanks nick the pleasure is all mine thank you so much
0: There you have it, the great Tyshawn Sori. You can grab the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session661. If you dug this episode... Do me a favor, tag me and Tyshawn, do it on Instagram. Let us know that you enjoyed the episode, that you're listening. And if you feel so inspired, then head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review there. takes a minute, lets everyone know that they should be listening to this podcast as well. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out RevoiceMedia.com.